Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 150 with Jonathan Goldman, Sonic Illuminations. From sound therapy to music to chakra chanting, Jonathan's influence has been felt far and wide. Join the team as we discuss consciousness, frequency, spirituality, music, and the magic that is sound. Om. Welcome, Jonathan. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And let me just uh, bring ring this in with a little tone for us all. That was lovely. What uh, tone was that? Uh, it came from a very sacred Tibetan bowl of mine. I never checked out the frequency, but it's probably somewhere between a C and a C sharp because tones can modulate and change and... Uh, We'll talk about that because it's really important not to get, from my perspective, too locked into any one frequency doing any one thing because life is full of changes and so are we. That is actually very appropriate. So something we do on the podcast is to correlate the episode number to Major Arcana in the Tarot. Um, and this is episode 150, so that's number 15, which is the Devil card. I am the Master Deceiver and it is time to break the spell. This is about embracing your inner trickster, giving in to temptations, making choices based on impulse rather than desire, deceiving yourself, feeling hopeless. Um, it's an interesting card in general. But, uh, Raphael, what is the Galactic Heritage card? So for episode 150, we got uh, card number 42, of course, the, only, the one and only 42. Please. I love 42, the meaning Please. of the universe. It's a Pleiades card, a Blind Enthusiasm, past timeline. A habitual pattern of the Pleiadians when they were a young species was to become very excited about an idea and implement it without thinking it through. What are the far-reaching implications of these actions? Who benefits and who is hurt? Take a good look at the times you may have done this in your current life. In the eyes of the universe, there are no mistakes. However, everyone has the responsibility to see beyond their own excitement and try to make choices that support the whole rather than simply the ego's desires. Fascinating combination. Jonathan, out of curiosity, did any of that synchronize or resonate with you? Hilariously so. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big 42 fan, first of all. Uh, not only life, the universe and everything, but I, it, it has manifested in uh, my life, as has 23 as a number as well. And if you like, I like to perceive myself as a Heyoka. Do you know that term? Oh, yeah, the trickster. Yeah. So um, because oftentimes uh, probably the greatest illumination can come through the various uh, forms of uh, being, you know, we get encoded in belief systems. And oftentimes it takes the trickster to change our belief system and say, hey, there's something else besides what you believe. And in that sense, the trickster can be the devil, right? Where um, I've, I've read an interesting book. Um, I lived in Switzerland for a year at a Christian think tank thing and was reading all these kind of books. And one of them was getting into the fact, I mean, to take the moral kind of, you know, black and white dogmatism out of it and being like, oh, the story 
and we'll just say it's a story for now of um the snake in the garden that's a chaos creature and a chaos creature being to some degree a trickster or something like that um so it's very interesting that's coming up as the card that uh I, i'm a double gemini myself and oh, uh okay so i didn't ask for your chart i usually ask for people's charts and kind of like plug around it um i should have probably done that but um yeah definitely understand the trickster element hardcore so um i'm kind of curious uh, well i'll just say how it turned on to you at some point and i mean i've been doing shocker meditations and stuff for a few years um i'm in like i said buena vista colorado and you're down in boulder i used mm-hmm. to live in fort collins up at horse tooth reservoir and i was like a, a cannabis farmer basically so for five years so i've been to boulder a few times um actually the only time i one of the times i went um i think it was on 420 a few years ago and i went to a bookstore and i got um technosis which is a really good book but um i digress the point is uh i i started i don't know remember exactly how i turned on to you but uh i checked out chakra chance the first Mm -hmm. one and mm-hmm. I thought that was so dope. And whether I was, I mean, over the few years, whether I was on mushrooms or acid or sober or whatever, that was always a very stabilizing and uh, fulfilling thing. And then I found Chakra Chance 2, which I prefer. Not that one is way better than the other, but it felt like just some, that's the one I used, I've used for a few years. Um, so you've been an integral, like your sonic contributions have been an integral part of my becoming process for a long time um, on a lot of levels. It's, it's not only some of the best uh auditory kind of guides to what that is i mean they're not terrible i I usually listen to them actually twice in a row just to kind of get a full impact um but uh if people aren't familiar like they're going through the chakras doing different tones and but it's not just like you know a bell or um throat singing it's a it's a whole smorgasbord of like things going on uh and they're very kind of archetypally related it seems to the chakra itself so sounds of fire with the um solar plexus etc so um that's how i kind of turned on to you and then i i reached out to you and i was like yo you gotta come on the podcast and here we are um but i was looking at some of your website you do a lot more than i realized actually you're very uh it looks like you have a record label or did i'm not exactly sure about that i'm kind of curious um well let's start at the kind of very beginning and you don't have to go all um call me ishmael on it but like where where are you coming from like uh it looks like you kind of i grew up in the east coast it looked like you were going to university in boston or up in massachusetts somewhere um kind of fill me in I come for the Pleiades. Okay. No. Oh, perfect. Well, we got a Pleiadian card. There we go. There we go. No, um, I basically grew up in New Jersey. I moved to which uh, part? Okay, West Orange. I was, I, but I was born in New York. Where Where were you from? I was born in Overlook Hospital in Summit, New Jersey. So okay, overlooking Summit. Manhattan. Okay. Cool. Uh, I uh, was born in Manhattan, Doctors Hospital, and then. Nice. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Manhattan. My father was a doctor and at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. In fact, he was uh, head of, uh, first he was head of ENT, ear, nose, and throat, and then head of rhinoplasty at Mount Sinai Hospital. Nice. So it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because uh, many years ago, I realized that since I work with sound and the throat chakras, I was ultimately working on an etheric level with the ear, the nose, and the throat. It reminds me a little of Celestine Prophecy, if you've ever read that book, where sure. we're an amalgamation of the karma or whatever dharma of our parents. So he was in that zone already. I'm not sure what your mom did, uh, but you're definitely 
um, perpetuating the legacy in your own kind of spin, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting phenomena. Uh, we can go on, but I, I I take it from here and just say that uh, I went to film school at Boston University, did some uh, follow-up work in journalism at the School of Public Communications there. Then I was playing in various well-known rock and roll bands. And at Do one you want point, to tell us any of their names? No. But it's, okay, well, sure. that's fine. I'll have to Google uh, this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, re- re- regardless, uh, I guess I was not supposed to be, because they were pretty, uh, they were, if you like, shall I say, we rehearsed in the uh, same uh, rehearsal space as Aerosmith, you know. And, oh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, and we did not, for whatever reasons, become as well-known as Aerosmith, although we were quite good. But perhaps it was because I was meant to, hmm, be pursuing this path and helping pioneer the field of sound as a uh, healing modality. And here's how that happened. I was playing with uh, this band in a club in Marshfield, Massachusetts, which is at the very tip of Cape Cod. And uh, I strapped on my guitar after a uh, break and began playing and singing, and I became aware that the ambiance of the club was one of negativity and violence. Now, Jim, I have to tell you, the alcohol and the other intoxicants that people were imbibing in certainly were helping create this ambiance. But also, the music that I was creating at this specific time was helping uh, do that. And once again, this was not... Uh, I really need to say this is not a denigration of rock and roll or anything like that. It's simply the particular music that I was playing at this particular time, which shall we say was a little closer to certain aspects of new wave music. And I had the thought. I looked out and I I saw that, you know, by gosh and by golly, uh, there is something going on here. And, you know, I, you know, I realized that the music that I was creating was helping induce this ambience of negativity and violence. And once again, the alcohol and, uh, and toxicants were also doing this, but the music was creating it. And I had a thought. And mind you, I've been playing professionally for at least 15 years. This is early, uh, you know, probably in the uh, 1979, as a matter of fact. And I've been, you know, so it gives you an idea of my age already then. And um, the thought had never occurred to me, you know, that music could be used for, shall we say, less than positive abilities. And I thought, wow, what if music can be used to make people feel good? And then after that, within about a week, that thought shifted and changed maybe five, ten degrees, and it became, I wonder if sound can be used to heal. And that thought in the very, very late 70s, early 80s, basically was fairly new to the planet. There were perhaps a few different books on the subject and a couple of recordings, but not much else. But I remember about two or three weeks later, I was handed a sheet of paper and there was um, 
a workshop being advertised on healing with sound and music. And literally, I went to this workshop and my life was changed. It was taught by a person by the name of Sarah Benson, who since became a dear friend, a dear teacher of mine. And uh, she actually uh, is a was a very, very good friend of myself and my wife, uh, Andrea. And um, she actually is the uh, godmother of our uh, son. So she really was a very, very strong influence on her life. I like to call her now. She's passed on. I call her the divine mother of sound healing. But because of her, literally, I had this experience where I was working with, uh, I was in the middle of a circle and they were singing my name in a particular exercise called the Song of the Soul. And I was transported to another place and another time. And when I got back to my body, I said, I've got to find out more about this. And shortly after that, I began uh, this organization, the Sound Healers Association. And then shortly after that, which actually had different scientists doctors, teachers, uh, who basically would come and freely give of their time and energy to this organization. We would have like 30 to 50 people come uh, into either, uh, you know, um, my house or if we were renting a, a space, would come into this space and they would teach for several hours. It was an incredible, incredible background and in teaching and information at that particular point in time and space. And I basically said, okay, what if I could get some sort of degree? Because this is real. This is real. And this is true. What if I could get some sort of degree? And I went to Len Leslie University and I pursued a degree, a master's degree in uh, independent study in the uh, researching the uses of sound and music for healing. And now I will tell you more, but I'll let you ask a question first. <clears throat> Well, that's fascinating, and I was going to say, I wonder how much, like, was this venue built on a Indian burial ground? What was compounding, uh, just being facetious there, pet cemetery style, or shining, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, go ahead. I actually had the experience one time of going to a uh, hospital that had been uh, built over an Indian uh burial ground and working with powerful psyche and toning and clearing the energy and allowing the spirits to go to the higher realms of consciousness. Never told Sometimes that story. reality is stranger than fiction. Yeah, it's shit's yeah, real. Yeah. I mean, that was in Maine. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't surprise me actually at all. There's a whole lot of history in America, oh, the whole yeah. world. I mean, in some weird way, Bowie said we're like, or I forget if Bowie said it, but the point is we're all just stacking on top of the artifacts of other people. So it's there's going to be some residual uh, tones you might say uh some baggage energetically possibly um yeah, yeah. so it sounds like I mean, i've had uh, i play guitar too um my yeah. brother's a drummer and there's definitely been times on psychedelics or not where you start realizing um the power of sound uh it's not just about i mean because we live in a 20th 21st century now postmodern kind of culture where you know um i think david uh lynch in um uh, twin peaks really kind of elucidates that shit really shifted with the rock and roll and the gyration of hips and the Beatles and Elvis and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, it became a commodification <laughs> of kind of sexual revolution in a way, um, which has its place. I'm okay with that. But I, I mean, like your understanding, uh, sound can lift people to ecstasy. Sound can be a, an accompaniment on a 
you know, a psychedelic journey. It can be a journey without psychedelics altogether. That's what praise and worship music kind of is for Christians, where they kind of go into the zone and elevate themselves. So it's cool that you kind of had the epiphany. Um, there are, I don't think this is a presupposition, obviously, I don't think there's any accidents. So it's like, uh, you, you probably weren't going to enjoy doing the whole heroin chic thing that, uh, Joe Perry did. <laughs> so, um, and 79 is a good year like that. 79, 80 is right around when remaining light by the talking heads dropped and a bunch of cool stuff like that. So, um, interesting time to bifurcate and kind of start making, you know, shoveling the snow and the new d- domain, because in some senses, I'm sure, you know, like, uh, whether it's Tibetan throat singing or, um, you know, uh, Gregorian chant or whatever music's in a, in a sense beyond just like let's rock and roll and headbang and drink beer has been around, but America specifically the West um, has been in a weird funk for a long time where we've, we've looked at it as entertainment gods or something like that. And, and there's, it's not bad. I'm not going to get into that so much, but this gets into just like spiritual power and, and perceptions and altering things through tones. And like, even back in the day, like tritones, like don't play the devil's chord, devil card. Right, ironically. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of a neutral thing, but then people's intentions. So if like, you're just trying to get laid or get a, you know, a bag of Coke or something like that, like maybe you're, you know, clapped and used to be like no snow no show kind of thing it's like uh, it's like that's not a good look uh so i'm really glad you kind of pulled out of the scene in that sense and did what did what you've been doing because um not only have you been a pioneer in it uh i think you've been more probably rewarded personally that i mean it's fun to jam out but at the same time what you're doing is i don't want to get into like lofty kind of woo terms but you're like it's transcendental in a sense it's, it's tapping into some kind of thing beyond just entertainment i guess i'm trying to say it's more of an art than an entertainment in a way though it is entertaining um it's more of a i don't even know how to put it um a wormhole into other dimensions possibly kind of like what you're saying with being transported to another place and coming back uh yeah. certain frequencies allow us to kind of explore in new different ways and i mean you can do that if singing you know beach boy songs i guess to a point but at some level there's limitations within the form itself and the entertainment media and all that stuff um i'm kind of digressing but so you went to the university and you started doing your own thing independent study was this more like were you worried about like psychoacoustics were you trying to get like what are the kind of things you were studying um more like cultural elements like musicology what i I was mostly studying was a i'm an autodidact which means i'm really good at learning by myself and so i or finding the right teacher and picking their brain or studying them for a while then moving on and basically what i had been doing or a courtesy particularly of uh the Sound Healers Association is having my pick of the creme de la creme of spiritual masters, medical doctors, scientists, psychics who are working with sound. And they were coming to my place from all over the planet. We're talking about from France, from England, from Germany, et cetera, like that, and literally flying over and they were giving talks because uh, there was no other organization like this. And the idea of using sound and vibration for healing was uh, really a relatively new thing. So I got a powerful, powerful education. I began to continue this you know, research. And what I was mostly interested in, I was mostly interested in, first of all, the uses of different frequencies or different tones or different mantras to resonate the chakras, the etheric fields, but also our, our organs. So it was all basically everything. Uh, that I was, you know, working with, including 
if you like, I was one of the first pe people who I actually did write the first medical uh, paper that talked about what I called sonic entrainment and is now known as binaural beat frequencies. But I'm the first person to make that actually general and public. Um, so there were all these different things that really, really interested me. But I want to take you, Jim and Ra, back in my time machine. And it is probably around 1985 now. And I am putting together all this information that I have gathered about different systems that use sound and music for healing. And you can't see me now, but I've got my hands raised about a foot apart from each other. And that's about how much paper I had. And that paper had different systems of sound and music for healing that were uh, that I had researched and uh, I had found from different spiritual masters, different books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And mind you, as I mentioned, my father was a doctor, my grandfather was also a doctor, and my brother. So I come from a real left-brain medical, uh, if you like, model. And I thought, okay, this is going to be easy. I am basically going to correlate all this information. And it's all going to make sense. And I'm going to be the first person to do this. And I'm going to come out with what is the frequency for what thing. You got it? But yes. that is not what happened. I'm sitting in front of a computer screen. This computer screen is using a DOS operating system. And it is basically a, a very, very dark screen with amber letters. And the amber cursor is flashing back and forth, waiting for me to type something. Because what I'm doing is correlating all this information. But unfortunately, I'm finding that Dr. X has used a specific set of frequencies to organize and resonate a particular chakra. And Dr. Y has used a completely different set of frequencies for that same chakra. Or perhaps they're working with an organ. You know, regardless, the frequencies did not align. They were different. Spiritual Master A would use a particular mantra for a chakra. Spiritual Master B would use a completely different mantra for that same chakra, or perhaps the same mantra for a different chakra. It didn't make sense. Nothing was lining up. And the I remember, devil's in the details, as they say. Well, yeah. I, I, I was there. I'm in a state of intellectual angst with my head in my hands. I'm going, oh, my goodness. Oh, how can this be? It doesn't make sense. Nothing's lining up. Nothing's lining up. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. And the voice says, it is not only the frequency of the sound which creates its effect. It is also the intention of the person making and receiving the sound. And there on this amber screen, in these gold amber letters, I wrote down the words frequency plus intent equals healing. And it was like this huge light bulb went off. And that was back in 1984, 1985. Here it is. A few years later, perhaps 35 years later, and that formula of frequency plus intent equals healing is perhaps more valid and important now than ever. So I wanted to share that with you as uh, just maybe one of the great ahas that I've brought down on the planet because that is manifested uh, in almost everything that I do.
I want to talk with you a little bit about, for example, chakra chants, which you mentioned before, and how uh, that you know utilized a number, of probably a dozen different uh, of these systems, and many of them which did not necessarily relate, but I used ones that I was able to create in terms of mantras, frequencies, environmental sounds, all this other stuff, and. Again, I like to perceive that most of this, it seems to be very, very effective, incidentally, but it's still a metaphor. Because one of my great tenets, if I were to share a few different with you, one of them is frequency plus intent equals healing. We got that one, right? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the other is that we are all unique vibratory beings. And that what works for one person will not necessarily work for another. So um, perhaps do you want to comment on, the, on those two and ask me questions before I continue? Well, Raphael, feel free to jump in at any point. Um, a couple things come to mind. Uh, I don't know how familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien you are, but his Silmarillion has a very similar kind of um, Genesis story to the effect where everyone's singing songs and then there's one dude who sings out of tune. Uh, but we're all kind of tuned, if you want to put it that way, to certain frequencies uh, depending on one's presuppositions and ontological kind of perspectives, I guess this is open source or not, depending, like I said, on those viewpoints. Um, but it seems like, um, and even in the, what's the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which is on Netflix, highly worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, they're talking about the song of Thra and how, you know, you get you get in creation, you're born, you, you're singing your song, you're singing your thing, you die, you leave the song, but the song is always kind of singing. Mm. It's really cool that you're... Um, I mean, I knew your formula. I've quoted it before on Facebook, uh, but it's it's not surprising to me. I'm sure Raphael might have a thought or two because uh, he's uh, he's actually the one who turned me on to Daryl Anka channeling Bashar, if you've ever heard of that guy. And mm-hmm. intention is a big deal kind of in that field of thought. Um, but in terms of um, the fact that you were causing uh, a, kind of a holographic mishmash of things going on in the recordings, whenever because mm. for a while I was using those um, to uh well not anymore but uh for a while i was leading um meditation groups with that and Mm -hmm. trying to get people to understand that their body is kind of like a resonance chamber and if you get like if you you know if you're thinking of a few things i don't know like cleaning the chakra like it's a tornado um and you're kind of put like a potter's wheel or something and you're putting your hand out and cleaning off and scraping off all the energy that's quote unquote not necessary or however you want to put that but also more importantly uh intoning these tones like making your body resonate like you know like you were doing early at the beginning of the call with the uh kind of throat singing like you know like full on um because it's not just about like uh it's like you've got to like purse your lips and get your tongue on the roof of your mouth and create like the most vibration in your whole being and if you do that like this shit really unlocks Mm. levels of consciousness like it's real so um i appreciate how that it's not it's funny because it's like i guess aerosmith and other people just put out rock tunes for the money um what you're doing now has a lot more intentionality behind it so because of your desire to kind of make a more more of a splash in the uh, pond in a certain way i think um people like me are getting you know we're in the wet seats of shamu and like it's just you know i'm getting (laughs) splashed by this stuff so it's great i love it and i think this is where music should be like most people get into music for uh, for various reasons but it sounds like you and i are similar in the sense that we do it for intentional reasons um 
I mean, hopefully our highest excitement at some level, but also transformation, entertainment, maybe enjoyment, whatever. Um, but the stuff you're doing is quite literally like a stargate, like a material stargate. We don't have to, you don't have to eat LSD kids. Like you can just do these things and you could have OBE like out of body experiences. You can have, um, mystical journeys. Um, there's other ways to do it too. Obviously pharmacologically enhancement ways or whatever, but, um, you made me a real believer in the fact that the power of my own voice and the power of my body was able to kind of, synthesize an experience that was probably already there but i just had to like it's like uh, you know saying uh, open sesame or something like that like if you do the right things the door is open jim i'm going to jump so, in for a second and say a couple of different things first of all i like to uh, say that uh, i have consciously and intentionally created a number of recordings for the specific purpose of those being adjuncts to interdimensional travel, uh, or shall we say purveyors of a waveform that allows travel, uh, traveling our consciousness into uh, other level, uh, levels. One is called ascension harmonics, for example. Another one is called Merkaba of sound. And I mean, these are specifically created and they work by themselves. They work with plant medicine. I know a lot of people who do, do that stuff. They work However, but once again, they were intentionally created to do that. And, you know, with that in mind, I'd like to also first get back now into science, because I just went down a rabbit hole with you in terms of using sound as a major shamanic tool for shifting and changing consciousness. And I'd love to get back there. But I'd love to tell you and your listeners just the two basic principles of how sound can heal. Will that be okay? Definitely. Okay. So the first one is called psychoacoustics. And this is where sound goes into our ears, goes into our brain, affects our nervous system, our heart rate, our respiration, our brain waves. And mind you, that's, that's, pretty good as it is and for example whether you're listening to my voice right now or you're listening to different music the music is going into your ears and basically affecting your heart rate respiration and brain waves which is one of the ways that you get this very very deep and profound experience with sound and with music Okay, so through the phenomena of listening, and listening is an extraordinary, powerful tool, and perhaps one of the greatest ways that we can enhance our understanding of sound and uh, enhance our understanding of sound healing is simply to really open up our ears and begin to listen more consciously. Uh, oftentimes when I'm uh, doing a workshop or whatnot, I will play a piece of music from a recording that I created back around eh, 1988, 89 called Dolphin Dreams. And this is the first recording that actually was commercially available that features the sounds of dolphins. And it's got ocean, heartbeat, choral voices, dolphins. It's got an ohm. It's got frequencies of, uh, it's got a wordless melody. It's got all these different things. And there's actually a chapter in a book on music, a college bo uh, uh, professional book on music. And it deals with using 
dolphin dreams as a listening experience just to see how many different sounds you can begin to key into. And this is an extraordinary thing because as we open up and shift our level of listening, okay, I'm listening is a conscious aspect of hearing. Hearing is, if you like, passive. Listening is conscious and active. As we began to expand our level of listening, we literally are beginning to expand one of our five primary senses, and that is, of course, the sense of sound. And when we do that, we literally can perceive of reality in a different and enhanced level. Does this make sense? Totally does. Okay, let me continue. So that's number one. First way, psychoacoustics. We can get back to all these, but I just want to you know, set some groundwork. The next way is called vibroacoustics. And that's where the sound goes into your body and resonates and vibrates you on a cellular level, going down to your DNA and even your molecules. Okay? And I didn't make this up. Here's a quote. And it came from the New York Times science section back in 1988. And it says, sound shifted into new tool can make break or rearrange molecular structure. So think about that, can make, break, or rearrange molecular structure. And then the tagline for this is, and levitate objects. So yes, acoustic levitation is also possible. But the idea that we can use sound to vibrate ourselves on a cellular level and rearrange molecular structure. People oftentimes ask me, well, Jonathan, what sort of things can be healed with sound? I said, well, you know, if you can rearrange molecular structure, what sort of things conceptually cannot be healed with sound? So I I put those two uh, different aspects uh, out to you. Psychoacoustics, sound going into our ear, music, our voice, and vibroacoustic, the sound going into our body. And I'm going to jump just one more. And for the last probably three or four years, my wife, Andy, and I uh, have become really major advocates of humming mm, as a tool for healing. And in fact, we've written a, an award-winning, very well-known book called The Humming Effect. And these are all found on our website, which is Healing Sounds. Com. They're also found in Amazon and, you know, et cetera. But I want to suggest to people that probably the most powerful vibroacoustic effect that can be created through our voice is through the hum. Jim, want to play a game for a minute? I'm all about it. All right. I want you to start humming with your lips closed and then pinch your nose. I'm going to do it first, and then uh, let's actually, why don't you to do it, and let me see what happens. Okay, so without pinch, and then you'll, first, hear, um, no, you'll hear the pinch. No, yeah, first hum, and then pinch your nose, but make sure your lips are closed. Right. I mean, I phenomenologically felt a small difference, but I didn't really auditorily notice much of a difference. Okay, then you weren't humming. Ah! Because you hum with um, your lips closed. Listen, I'm going to hum with my lips closed and do oh, it. Oh, you're right. Just, my lips were pursed, but the air was coming out. 
Right. It was it wasn't a sealed vacuum. Okay, let me try one more time. Dude, I got what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah. Mm, I mean, yeah. The problem. You can't <laughs> yeah. if your nose is pinched. Correct. Simple physics. Interesting. Most people don't know that. And I say, well, if you didn't know that about the hum, maybe there's other stuff. And in fact, the first chapter of our book, The Humming Effect, because uh, it was the first book that was written, that's been professionally published on the subject of humming. And I said, all right, how are people going to take this subject seriously? Because, you know, it's humming. So we had the first chapter be nothing more or less than what they call peer review or scientific and medical papers and, in, you know, uh, information on, on the physiological effects of humming. Here are just a few of them. There are a whole lot. Get a reduction of heart rate, slows down your heart rate, your respiration, your brain waves, slows down your blood pressure, decreases your blood pressure, which is great for people who are stressed out. You get, among other things, the release of melatonin, which is fabulous. It's a uh, sleep enhancer and also a, a antiviral agent. You get the release of nitric oxide, not nitrous oxide, which is wonderful in the dentist's office, but nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, which means it basically opens up your circulatory system and lets the uh, blood flow more evenly throughout your body. And also nitric oxide is an antiviral agent. So it's been suggested by a number of doctors in these particularly interesting times that if you are humming and you're humming in your nasal cavity, right? What happens is you get the release of nitric oxide, which can be very, very effective for assisting in our health. Makes total you, also sense. The, you also get the release of oxytocin, which is the trust hormone, and you get the release of endorphins, which are those wonderful, uh, uh, blissful uh, painkillers. So all these happen when you hum. Did you know that? I do now. So thanks for illuminating. I also do now. Almost is like uh, a cat that's purring. That's what kind of rem what is is reminding me about. What I'd like to ask you, as Jim has been talking about making a splash, obviously, even apparently one of your first CDs potentially was entitled Dolphin Dreams. Is there anything <laughs> you would like to share about this almost sounded like a dolphin? Huh? <laughs> Some people say I, when I laugh, I sound like a dolphin. So is there anything you'd like to mention about the dolphins in particular? Because, of course, oftentimes here we also talk about, you know, other types of life forms and so on and the way that i understand it in this case also through bashar but i can just say it makes total sense that the dolphins cetaceans so also the whales are actually a type of you know alien or extraterrestrial life form we don't need to you know agree or not on that but what's certain is that they have their own culture they're hyper hyper intelligent and as i understand now just like in this movie again i'm forgetting the name not arrivals but this kind of like end times movie when aliens come down and they start painting in these circles. Oh, and, Arrival. Uh, Arrival, right? So it's that one. That just now, I mean, to me it was kind of obvious, but apparently recently they really discovered that dolphins actually communicate by sending holographic sound patterns, let's say. So that would be one question. Anything you'd like to mention about the dolphin or dolphin yeah, friends? Yeah, well, hold, this... hold on, hold on, hold okay. on. You, you, yes, you got sure. me on the side. Do you think it's by <laughs> accident that I created a recording called Dolphin Dreams? Well, no, not Definitely at all. Not. 
Okay. So, um, and as long as we got a little time, and we got a little time, I'll, I'll tell you, it's been years since I've really spoken about dolphin dreams uh, on an esoteric level. But uh, bottom line was that I was um, basically going to have, uh, I, I wanted to create a birthing recording that had the energy of a dolphin-assisted water birth. And so I was able to get the sounds of these dolphins from a man by the name of Dr. John Lilly, who I'm going to talk about in a minute. Oh, we're familiar actually, with him. What? We're familiar with him. Uh, and okay. His, I so, think, yeah. So I'm going to go, I'll go into a, a rap about Lilly. The in a conch second. is yours. Ah, uh, man. You know, uh, the, mo the movies Day of the Dolphin as well as Altered State were both based upon his work. And, um, I'd like to suggest that indeed the whole idea that, um, you know, if you like, dolphins are extraordinary high conscious beings. And uh, on a physiological level, because I oftentimes use them when I'm talking about sound, because sound is measured in what we call cycles a second. This is called its frequency. We hear from around 16 of these cycles per second to around 16,000. That's about our highest level of hearing. Maybe if you're a very young kid of four or five years old, you may be able to hear up to 18,000 or even 20,000. But as you get older, your hearing uh, gets a little less. But our finny friends in the ocean can project and receive sounds upwards of 180,000 cycles a second. So I like to say just because we can't hear a sound doesn't mean that there isn't one being created. And I love the fact that you talked about dolphins projecting holographic thought forms in their sound. Yes, indeed. This is nothing we can prove, but I would like to concur with whomever said that, that, yeah, this has been my awareness since... Uh, before I made Dolphin Dreams. Jumping back on the bandwagon of Dr. John Lilly, okay? And we indeed use the sounds of uh, two of his dolphins, Joe and Rosie, who were in a tank one day. And uh, at the time, Dr. Lilly was trying to really determine if he could speak, uh, if he could uh, teach dolphins how to uh, speak English. And he then ultimately decided that we really needed to learn dolphiness instead. But uh, they were in the tank and this woman was recording them. And they came up to her and basically one place to blow hole under one the uh, foot and one uh, place to blow hole under the other foot. And they projected sound through her and opened up her heart chakra. I basically was able to get in touch with this woman. She said, I recorded that experience. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I said, you are supposed to give it to me. And she sent it to me and I used it on Dolphin Dreams going down that rabbit hole. This woman has since become a very well-known biological oceanographer. But getting back to John Lilly. Hmm, let's go 15 years later. I'm out in Los Angeles 
and I'm in uh, Hollywood actually, and I'm at a party that is being given for myself and for Dr. Lilly. And we are both on the lanai of, and the uh, apartment itself, the place where it's happening is totally crowded with people and I needed a break. And John was there too. And he's sitting there humming back and forth. And I'm kind of into sound. So I'm really tapping into what he's doing. And I went, wow, this guy is making a sound. And I know he's baking, basically doing it as a vibrational uh, frequency that is uh, having some sort of extraordinary effect. So I said, John, I said, are you making that sound consciously? Well, gentlemen, that was not the right uh, question to ask a man who has dedicated his life to consciousness and has written a number of books on uh, consciousness. And uh, so he proceeded to uh, talk to me for about a half hour, starting with, young man, I no longer know what consciousness is. And he proceeds to go this and that. And finally, I realized that I was not necessarily going to get a straight answer for him. But I realized that for John Hilly, humming it had a profound effect. And I was determined to explore what some of this profundity was. Ergo, he, and in our book, uh, The Humming Effect, I actually tell about, tell about that story. And uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting phenomenon that he had such a powerful effect, not only in terms of dolphin dreams, but also in terms of the humming effect. Not many people can say they chilled on a little eye with John Lilly, so props. Um, I think he was a psychonaut at some level, obviously. Um, so who oh, knows yeah. where his head was at when you asked a simple question? Maybe he was just not <laughs> there to handle it. Or, but a uh, profound uh, guy. Go ahead, Rafael. I guess there's reason, even just like with simple oming and so on, the tone that is held the most probably would just be this type of humming, anyways, in many, many different types of traditions. So that's certainly I, 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 I highly suspicious. Yeah. Yes. I, I just got to jump in. I mean, I hope you don't mind, but oh, mentioning oming, okay? This leads me just down another rabbit hole for a moment, okay? I, uh, I, I am a child of the Woodstock Nation. I was at Woodstock, and the man who opened up Woodstock was a man by the name of Swami Satchitananda, and he got half a million people to chant together. Still following me so far? Thanks. Yes. Okay, and this may oh, yes. be one of the reasons why Woodstock was perhaps the most peaceful and uh, festival that there was, and such a world-changing festival. There were over really a million people who were there in harmony, and it, it represented, if you like, an incredible metaphor and landmark of consciousness for our planet. But that intention probably helps at the stage too. Oh, oh my goodness gracious! So. Uh, I really like Swami Satchitananda, who has passed on. My wife, Andy, and I were at a, a, an ashram that he founded called Yogaville. Yes, that re and it's an incredible place in Virginia. And uh, we had arrived late at night because it took a while to get there from uh, Boulder. And we walked in, and there was a copy of Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras. Now, the Yoga Sutras by Pantanjali's is something that almost every spiritual master has done their own translation of. And this was Swami Satchitananda's. And I basically opened it. And I happened to open the Sutra 1.27. And it said, and these are my words, not his, but it said something very much akin to the original sound of creation 
was the humming of prana, pranava. They had to give this a name, so they called it Om. That reminds me a little Frank Zappa um, says something to the effect of like the Big Bang is just a big uh, like sound, <laughs> and it's been going on ever since then. Uh, obviously, a little different um, maybe worldviews there, but yeah, it's funny. Like the whole Dow hums, you could say. Yeah, no, I I call it the cosmic hum, and I was actually uh, walking to get some breakfast the next day, and I passed by this other Swami who was the head librarian, who was also an astrophysicist, and I knew him a little bit, and I said, hey, um, Swami, did you ever think that the original sound of creation wasn't the Big Bang, but was actually a hum? And he looked at me, he looked at me rather strangely, and he said, well, of course, we astrophysicists know this, didn't you? I said, ah, man, I wish somebody had told me this before. But no, that's exactly right. That's great. So what I'd like to ask uh, also in regards, since you mentioned uh, psychoacoustics and vibroacoustics, if in any way, shape or form you're familiar about so-called scalar waves, if that's in any way, shape or form familiar to you, scalar waves associated with Nikola Tesla and the idea being of... Uh, Longitudinal waves capable of penetrating any solid object, including Faraday cages. When I describe it, I always talk about kind of a frequency behind the, the frequency, also related to neutrinos in research. And uh, most likely also, I can only assume to the heart and maybe also in some way to our voice. Anything you can say about that? Well, I was just... Before I got on the phone, I was just uh, reading a book on Tesla, which is, you know, one of my uh, go-to books. So it's uh, I like Tesla a whole lot. And, um, yeah, uh, I like Tesla a whole lot. Scalar waves I have been familiar with for a really long time. Uh, they seem to be theoretical at this point in time and space. So I am not able to make any uh, solid, uh, you know, aspects. I like to say that intentionalized sound is quantum in nature. That's about as far as I could go, but I would probably perceive right. of given your definition that um, intentionalized sound creates scalar waves. Probably. Once again, because I, I like that. You know, yeah, good. And that again so is the frequency plus oh, intent. The frequency plus intent. But mind you, of course, uh, there is, does seem to be a difference. I was just looking at this uh, between electromagnetic frequencies and acoustic frequencies. So people, who, uh, while you can relate electric frequencies, for example, to acoustic frequencies, cycles per second, cycles per second, they aren't exactly the same. Although they do oscillate, well, modulate uh, in cycles per second. And I think one can influence the other. I don't think they are the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, it sounds like you like geeking out about sound, to, to, to say it in a nice way, uh, which is not a problem. So I'm presuming you're pretty familiar with the idea of cymatics? Uh, yeah. I, all right. So cymatics. <laughs> uh, I, I'm laughing about this because the my original mentor in the science of sound came from the man who pioneered cymatic therapy, and that was Dr. Peter Guy Manners from England. And cymatic therapy is different than cymatics, which is the study of the effects of, shall we say, sound made visible. Uh, in other words, people basically came from 
I, from Dr. Hans Jenny, who is a medical doctor uh, who basically took these extraordinary photographs. And now there are a couple of people on the planet. There are a number of people, including uh, Alexander Ladewasser in uh, Germany and another guy named John Stuart Reed in England who are taking this work and going further. So, yes, I, I am real aware. But please know that the uh, idea of being able to make sound visible by, for example, taking a violin bow and rubbing it across a plate that's got sand on it and seeing the sand go into different organized patterns is very old. Well, right. You were saying something when you were talking earlier about um, levitation, essentially, um, that and, and the difference between the two types of acoustics. Uh, that was coming to mind because I, uh, and, and DNA reprogramming and all that jazz. Um, at some level, there's phenomenological evidence that, you know, different frequencies essentially create different patternings. Yeah. Um, I've heard, you know, all sorts of new age kind of tales of like, oh, Tibetans lifting rocks or the pyramid in Egypt was built by synaptics uh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of rabbit holes and we love inquiring down them. I'm not going to drink all the Kool-Aid all the time, but um, it I love seems, it though. <laughs> well, we got to be open-minded. Ask the questions. Maybe not always, you know, sit on the that place forever. But um, this kind of lends itself to the whole. Uh, and I know that we don't have to dwell on this. I'm just kind of curious. We've had a guest on before when we were talking about 432 hertz. I know there's a whole history and probably not uh, how verifiable it is and all that with the whole like Nazi regime instilling A440 and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm not a historian, but um. What are the pro we don't even have to talk about 432 particularly? I'm wondering if you find that there are certain frequencies and why they necessarily like with the binaural beats and um, solfeggios and stuff like that. Do you, are you finding that you know I don't know um, like six three nine or you know whatever numbers Tesla used like does that open up a portal that's very different than 711, which is very different than you know 432, etc. Okay, so I hear what you're saying. And I'll just first of all say that I think ultimately that sound and every frequency and the harmonics that are generated from it, and I'd like to talk about harmonics soon because when you start talking about frequencies, you need to encompass the aspect of harmonics. Otherwise, it's like... Um, not really understanding sound, but every sound, sound is like this extraordinary smorgasbord of nutrition, food, and depending upon the time and the space and the need of the individual, different sounds can have different therapeutic effects. Uh, I'd like to say, for example, that... Um, if you were to tell me that blue was the most healing color or purple was the most healing color or red was the most healing color, I'd have to ask you, what's the condition? What's the situation? What's the need of the individual? And I would therefore answer the same way in terms of sound. Um, and I could tell you, look, on one level, the solfagio frequencies, you may or may not know it, but I am actually the person who brought those down to the planet in terms of tuning forks. Yes, I am the first person who ever had tuning forks made from those uh, frequencies, and I sent them to uh, the two people who first brought them down, as well as this other fellow who ran with them and created this whole 
for want of a better term, cult about them. And uh, so I think that they are, from my perspective, very, very powerful when they are used contiguously in a sequence together, going from one to the next, 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 to the next. And I think that's their true power. I think when these frequencies are isolated and used alone, uh, then uh, there's something else. And mind you, I was talking before about the importance of intentionality. And I said frequency plus intent. Well, it's also sound plus belief. And really, if we encode a belief on a certain sound, most of the time, that's going to happen. Because people believe it. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, for example, the works of uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton or Joe Dispenza or whatnot, the work of belief and placebo. This is very, very important. The fact that we can encode our thought forms on different frequencies and have different effects with them. And that alone says a huge amount. That may be one of the reasons why all these things are quantum in nature. So, um, I think it's really important for us to understand that uh, from my perspective and from my belief, you can't really single out a frequency. It's very, very easy for people to go, oh, this is the healing frequency or this is the healing frequency. But in reality, eh, uh, here's one for you. Um, when I do a workshop, one of the first questions that I ask is, I say, is anyone here allergic to penicillin. And uh, I will backtrack and say that one of the basic tenets of sound is the understanding that everything is frequency or frequencies, okay, composite frequencies. That man that I talked about before, Dr. Peter Guy Manners, who is the pioneer in cymatic therapy, he worked with a composite frequency of five different frequencies for each different condition. Uh, so, Penicillin may have a composite frequency. It doesn't matter. What matters is that, that anywhere from 5 to 20% of an audience will raise their hand. And I'll go, okay, so this means that from for 80 to 90%, maybe even 95% of you, penicillin is going to be healing. But at the same time, from anywhere from 5 to 20% of you, penicillin is going to be toxic. That says a huge thing. That says that there ultimately is no magic bullet, no magic feather that works the same way for everyone. Does this make sense? Totally. Um, it's funny, while you were talking about that, I was thinking um, when you said there was a kind of a, uh, or the, the five tones he was using in the television show I referenced earlier, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, one of the scenes where they basically animate some rocks um, magically or whatever is done through that. They have like one tone, then another, and it's almost cymatic in the sense that things vibrate and assemble. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you that. I just came to mind. I thought Raphael well, might remember that scene too. <laughs> I, I, I love the Dark Crystal, the original movie, because you remember uh, they're the Skeksis and the Mystics, right? The Mystics. Yeah, the what Mystics hum. The Mystics make they go. which is the Tibetan deep voice. I love that. You know, I, I was like, oh, these guys are so cool, you know? Um, You'll have to watch Dark Crystal. You'll yeah, shit yourself. Yeah, I actually have it's started. I'm, I'm in the third, uh, third episode of it. Oh, it gets good. It gets good. 
Um, it, it takes a minute to build. Oh, yeah. I'd say around four or five, it, it starts picking up to a point. I mean, for what it is, it's a Jim Henson, you know. Like, oh, I, you thing. love it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, it's fantastic and beautiful. Um, one thing, uh, not to totally shift gears, earlier you were talking about intentional listening versus yeah. kind of not. Um, yeah. There's something that Alan Watts, I'm sure you know who he is, um, yeah. was kind of getting into something I used to listen to a lot, not only actually to your uh, – chakra uh chance too but also alan watts has a meditation with some singing and stuff like that but basically he's talking about like listening but basically becoming non-judicious in the sense of what it is not designating good and bad sounds almost letting yourself be a wash in sound and then at that point you're starting to be in a form of meditation in a sense um do you think there's a correlation in terms of whether it's ontological or otherwise i don't you can maybe have an actual worldview on this or just amusing. It doesn't matter to me. Um, the difference between like intentional projection into something with, with intention, right. Uh, where you're like, I'm going to focus, like you were saying in dolphin sounds, like let's go into a musicology class and listen and try to pick out all the tracks versus the awash method. Uh, do you, do you participate with both kind of um, modes or how do you listen to music and sounds yourself? Yeah. Uh. Uh, all right, so you happen to be catching me at a time when I had this extraordinary experience last night. Uh, I went outside. It was 11 o'clock my time, and uh, it was a full Pisces moon. full my, moon. Yeah. Right, right. My, my wife was listening to uh, an astrologer. She's an astrologer, but a uh, well-known astrologer, talking about the full moon, doing a, a guided meditation. I said, oh, well, let me see if I can see it outside in my backyard. And I went out in my backyard, and it was like there was a spotlight on this little chair that I sometimes sit out and uh, play my guitar or ukulele. And I just had, I happened to have my ukulele in my hand. And it was like I sat in the chair, and I looked up, and there was a giant full moon blazing at me, giant full moon blazing at me. And I began to play, as goofy as it may seem, an old song called Blue Moon, but I sang the words full moon. And then I began to sing the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. But I was singing Hallelujah with uh, vowel sounds with, with something I call the divine name. And I'm being quiet for a while, and I'm listening to the crickets, and I realize that they are sounding in resonance with me. And it blew my socks off, and it was a magical experience. Sounds like a beautiful moment. It was um, crazy. It was it, it was wonderful, and it was I think what you might call um, that moment of being awash with the sounds that were that it was. I was simply you know listening to all, and I went, oh my goodness gracious. Right, because I think something that we tend to do, especially as musicians, you understand, is like force our will in some way through sound. Mm -hmm. um like beethoven or something like that you know or you'll hear somebody creating something that isn't natural necessarily if you know what i mean it's not like a it's it's a vibe that like that's why the profundity of beethoven and things like that are where it's like well maybe people have thrown things and maybe people have used sticks but babe ruth is very specific or maybe people have you know arranged notes and this that and the other, but beethoven is very specific so i think there's a level at which and it's not bad it's not either or i'm not trying to be dualistic it's kind of a, a polarity i guess you could say two poles one is like being immersed and um being open to hearing what is like you were saying versus maybe projecting our internal reality out onto the external i 
I know this is getting kind of convoluted, and maybe there's not even a real difference ultimately, um, in the sense that Bashar is like everything external is internal. There's no, you know, it is you, like in a Jungian sense, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just didn't um, like with that that Alan Watts thing. One of the things, and it's not he was relegating it to breath work, right? Where it's like if you kind of chill out and watch your breath and stuff uh, with meditation you'll notice really quickly that it's happening to you, but you're doing it. There's a simultaneity. And that mm-hmm. like that line is almost the line of the yin yang or something where it's like, that's the consciousness of what witnessing is. Um, it's the do and be kind of thing. So I just didn't know if there was a, like, I mean, obviously, you know, sitting around playing the guitar, or listening to the Beatles or something like that. There's a very different kind of modality than maybe um, zoning out or however you want to put that and just kind of being in the moment fully. Um, and I didn't know if you uh, had anything to th- say about that, but you did say a beautiful little anecdote, which I appreciate. Yeah, but I, I wanted to just uh, suggest a little more about the fact that conscious listening can be both, right? Because when you start listening, whether it's to the Beatles or I happen to be wearing a Jimi Hendrix uh, T-shirt because he's a spirit guy of mine. OK, maybe not, but it's OK. I love Jimi Hendrix. And um Bottom line is that I think that as you open up the realm of listening, then all music and all things that you listen to will shift and change and become different and nothing is the same. I, for example, used to teach, my first book was called Healing Sounds, subtitled The Power of Harmonics. And harmonics are the sounds within sounds. Whenever we hear a sound, we don't hear an individual tone. We just don't. That doesn't happen. And uh, what we hear is a composite of many multiple tones that are geometrically related to each other called harmonics. Just as you can take a crystal and hold it into uh, sunlight and it'll break it up into the different colors of the electromagnetic spectrum red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So when you hear a sound, that sound is actually a composite frequency of mathematically related tones called harmonics. And the fact that there are certain harmonics that are most stressed in every instrument gives the instrument their timbre or tone color. But it's this composite frequency that occurs with every sound that we hear. And most people don't understand it. But you have to understand that that is why, if you like, the concept of just single tones is... um, It's a myth of the ego or something. You got it. Okay, I didn't say it. Yeah, because you really actually, the more you learn to listen, the more you learn to basically hear harmonics. When I used to teach harmonic singing, and the Tibetan style is one, but another one would be just being able to hit a tone, go, and I couldn't. I don't know if the uh, microphone uh, picked oh, it up it. or not. Yeah. But uh, you know, bottom line is that uh, those are simply sounds within sounds, and as you begin to hear those things, you're literally your level of hearing and listening shifts and changes and you begin to hear harmonics and all sorts of different things, whether it's, um, you know, automobile engines or your shower or different sounds within sounds that are occurring and your level of hearing is enhanced. And that's an extraordinary thing. That's like putting on, uh, it's almost as though you've been wearing earmuffs 
sonic earmuffs and you take them off and you begin to hear some more the extraordinary splendor that is the world of sound. Well, that's the irony. Our attentions become so focused, whether through academics or experience or, or expectations or any number of things, where we have forgotten what is. And then remembering is a, almost a deconstruction. It's like Graham Hancock says, we're a species with amnesia kind of thing. It's like we are awash in the harmonics of all that is all the time. And we've attuned ourselves culturally, physiologically, etc., um, to being very discreet uh, with sounds and there's a very different kind of experience, it seems. Uh, like when you were doing that um, frequency shifting in the throat thing, what, yeah. I, I noticed that in chakra chants. It's not like they're just doing pure tones. There's all sorts of people, you know, male voices, female voices, low, mm-hmm. high. And mm-hmm. something that I do personally is, tr- you know, because I have a deeper voice, uh, except for maybe sometimes the root, depending on uh, if I've had a long night or smoked or something, and I don't smoke right now, but um, yeah. sometimes I could hit it. But usually I'd have to do a higher octave. But I'd always, um, when I was showing this to other people, uh, tell them to, uh, and maybe you, like what you're kind of saying, emphasize is this switching between the octaves, like going to the full spectrum, and you can start to feel that resonance and all the kind of relationships around that archetype and intention, or however you want to put it, um, being played out. And it also makes you more participatory at a phenomenological level. So you're not just like trying to get the quote right note. You're 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 able to feel it and sense into it, like. You know, it's like, Luke, use the force, sense into it. It's like that kind of stuff. Jim, uh, i got to say a couple of things, and uh, just, and I hope I don't forget what I was initially going to say, but uh, a very dear friend of mine also, the third thing that I might have said, frequency plus intent equals healing. Um, we're all unique uh, vibratory beings. And also, three, we are our own best laboratories, particularly with sound. So that if you work with sound and begin to use sound, uh, for example, when we, uh, you know, teach humming and we might lead somebody in a one or three or five minute or 15 minute humming experience, or I might suggest to people, okay, try this. And we always suggest to them that, uh, first of all, they sit up. You know, it's it's different than humming zippity doodah while you're skipping down the street. Uh, I suggest doing this sitting straight. The back straight, your eyes closed. An erect, an erect spine goes a long way, and closed eyes goes a long way. And also, you said it before, taking nice, slow, deep breaths. These are mandatory. These are mandatory. So you begin taking nice, slow, deep breaths, and then you slowly begin to do a... Etc. And you like you, know, you might do that five times or fifteen times or whatnot. And then I say be in a state of silence afterwards because that's that's also really important. Honoring the energy of silence. Silence is, if you like, the yin to the yang of sound. It is in the silence that the actual frequency shifts on a molecular level, on an etheric level, occur. Because if you're making a tone. You really need to stop and then let the molecules rearrange themselves. If you shift your tone and change to another frequency, it's not as effective. So silence is very effective. And most people, after they've been breathing and humming, will be pretty blissed out anyway. So it's really important. But the reason I say that, you know, we are all... Let the jello settle, so to speak. (laughs) There you go. But it's really, you know, 
uh, talking about we're only best laboratories, et cetera, is, you know, if somebody can tell you one thing, oh, this is the best frequency or that is the best frequency or this is the best sound or that, until you feel it for yourself, it's not real. But when you feel it for yourself, there's nothing that can be taken from you. That's number one. And number two, sound is cumulative. By that I mean just, you know, if I go, mm, okay, and they say, well, I've hummed. It's kind of like somebody saying, well, okay, I did yoga for five minutes, now what? And as you well know, the idea of using yoga and doing yoga, it's a practice. and You need to do it on a continuous level. And as you do it on a continuous level, the effect becomes amplified. Is this, does this seem correct to you? Oh, totally. I mean, that's what, you know. <laughs> and we're doing it with everything consciously or unconsciously. If you sit around, you know, in a sedentary way, watching Fox news all the time or something, it's like, that's, you're getting a habit formed through that. And we get to choose and not that, I mean, I'm not going to judge people on what they do. Obviously I have my preferences, but the point is, um, we can entrain ourselves is what you're talking about and train through kind of, um, exactly what you're saying, cumulative effect. So, you know, when this happens, you're a guitarist, you get it. It's like, if, if some people pick up a guitar and touch it and maybe try to play a few chords and it's like, nah, this isn't going to work. Even the best guitarists started that, like Hendrix, whoever started off like that, you know? Um, and there's even a period where you're getting blisters and it sucks. And it's, is this even worth it? I can't express myself. I want to, or what, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's through, you know, the pyramid gets to an apex by a firm foundation. It's not just all that height all the way. So yeah, cumulative kind of effect happens. Um, I'm kind of curious what your ontological positions are in terms of, I mean, we don't have to go down too many rabbit holes, but it's like, do you practice any certain spiritual beliefs now, or are you kind of, um, a chimera of like a postmodern thing? I, I think everyone's kind of an, uh, an amalgamation of a lot of things. Now that's kind of the benefit of a globalized postmodern world. We're kind of can take, you know, dream weavers are cool. And so are mantras. Like I don't have to go to an ashram for 40 years and, you know, do X, Y, Z. Um, it has its you know, issues too, obviously no, we're, no one's just doing one thing to the highest degree probably anymore. Uh, excellently. But is there any kind of schools of thought that you're really jamming on these days? Oh, by gosh. And by golly. Um, it's, uh, that's so interesting because I have always been uh, an esotericist and, uh, I have been trained in the Tibetan tradition. I've been trained the Hindu tradition. I've been trained the uh, in the Kabbalistic tradition. I've been uh, trained in the Native American tradition. So I take that which works for me. And as long as the traditions are in harmony with each other, and I like to believe that most sacred sounds or sacred concepts work together. For example, the idea of compassion and love is almost a universal thing. You can find it in every tradition. One of the cool things in uh, uh, Swami Satchitananda's uh, ashram is they had uh, this wonderful giant building called the Lotus. And it stands for Light of Truth Universal. And um, in it, and it looks a little bit like the Taj Mahal. It's a way cool place. And um, one of his sayings was, many paths, one truth. And I, 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 I love that because you find that, you know, all these different traditions, you know, the idea of 
love and compassion and gratitude is really universal in terms of being a spiritual tradition. So with that in mind, uh, I like to borrow from A, B, and C, and these are things that have all worked personally for me. It may not work for someone else. And I'd like to say that probably the thing that I these days, even though I've worked with something called the, the divine name, it actually came through to me and maybe one of the more important sound uh, phenomena that I've manifested on the planet. And that is a sound that literally comes from the uh, vowel sounds and the harmonics related to the crown chakra going down to the root chakra and then back up. And I've written a book that's been published by Hay House called The Divine Name. I work with that a lot. I work with the chakra sounds, which are related to the divine sa divine name sounds simply because they're also uh, vowel sounds. But what I've been mostly doing, and I work with tuning forks, okay, uh, that are particularly um very, very specific in terms of their different ratios. If you go to our website, we have all these different uh, Pythagorean ratio tuning forks or what we call the DNA tuning forks. They are all based on science and sacred ratios. But Jim, the bottom line lately is I have really been working with humming and teaching people humming. And I'm going to tell you why. When, uh, you know, my wife and I actually, uh, or the reason why my wife and I began to, uh, research humming to write a book about it was that of course everybody has been humming everybody hums children hum babies hum john lily when he was sitting out in that uh lanai was humming and people usually hum when they're happy but bottom line is it was that uh as we have been teaching sound healing for so many years and for myself i've been teaching it almost 40 years okay and bottom line is that a lot of people have a lot of resistance to the concept of sound healing simply because they uh, basically are very, very self-conscious about their own sounds, making their own sounds. And um, I'm very much a believer in the voice as the most healing instrument because it doesn't require electricity, no batteries are needed, uh, the owner's manual is relatively easy and it's cost efficient. But people, because of various shows, and they're great entertainment, but you know, uh, basically judging the best voice. So people get very, very judgmental about their voice. So therefore- Our inner sort of, Simon Cowell comes out. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, that, so we, we're wounded singers, our throat chakra gets constricted, but what's the one sound? that nobody has judgment about. And my wife and I, Andy, looked at each other and we went, hmm, the hum. I don't know anybody who's ever been uh, judgmental about their sound. Okay, so humming is uh, basically a sound that, you know, literally everybody can make without judgment. That's an incredible, what a score to be able to make a sound without judgment, without pulling in that judgmental part of our brain. What a blessing. And uh, so with that in mind, we wrote the humming effect. But I want to suggest that uh, as you begin to hum more and you play around with the hum, changing your pitch, mm, but changing your intention, I will, for example, right now, change... Uh, Let's say I'm 
feeling something in my body and um, I put an intention to the hum. Okay. And then I'm going to basically change the intention and I can change the intention and feel the resonance without changing the pitch. So I'm going to go bring the sound from my, uh, my uh, forehead to my chest area. Okay. You ready? And I could just, you couldn't notice any difference in the tone, but I could actually feel a difference in the vibration in my body. And that's simply due to the fact that I've become fairly adept at doing this. And it was I'd simply by changing my intentionality, I was able to change the resonance. That's extraordinary. That is a beautiful thing. Um, well, I, I think we should have you back on the podcast. Uh, I don't want to take up your whole day. I know you said you want to do an hour. That was like a half an hour ago. So I want to be kind of cognizant of your time. Um, But uh, yeah, if there's any kind of, I'm going to get you some of your books. There's a book. If I'm I'm ever in Boulder, I'll have to uh, hit you up and be like, yo, here, check out this book. Um, Music, the Brain and Ecstasy. It's a really good book. You'd probably enjoy it. Um, I read it back in high school, but it's talking about like musical savants and, you know, the evolutionary mechanisms of the hammer and, uh, whatever's going on in our ear, um, <laughs> cochleas and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating book because, you know, some people can just channel full, you know, savantism or whatever. It's like, oh, they can't do much else. And wow, now they're playing like Chopin or what's going on here. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting kind of realities, rabbit holes to go down in that book. Um, Jim, but I guess... I'm, 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 I'm going to just, before I say goodbye, I'm going to just spend another five minutes on another one of my major important passions that both you and I know your listeners uh, and also um, Raphael will really appreciate. And that is Go for it. the, uh, it's bringing in two different elements. Number one, you probably are aware of heart-brain coherence. Yes? I've heard of this. Okay, well, this is very, very important for you and your listeners to become aware of. Because as we breathe, it's it's a very, very simple technique that seems that has been made popular by something called heart math. But basically, as we breathe, and also you can actually, if you go to our website, I do... Uh, an exercise in it on a download called the Sonic Health Enhancer. But the bottom line is you breathe while you are uh, visualizing the air also coming in and out through your heart and you're feeling gratitude. And, and what happens is this causes the electromagnetic field of the heart and the brain to expand tremendously. Okay, and this is a known fact. Okay, so there are a number of people, including, you know, that are doing global heart brain coherence meditations then i tell you that when you add the element of sound that amplifies it even more and brings it if you like to a quantum level this is why regardless of the tradition for the most part the different prayers are spoken whispered sung chanted they're made audible and the reason is that sound amplifies the power of prayer And every year we do an event called World Sound Healing Day on February 14th. And there are more and more of these global type sound events going on. But I want to suggest that we can literally interface and interconnect with what I call the Gaia Matrix, the consciousness of our planet. And we can basically 
raise and change the vibratory shifts of all sentient beings on our planet through our conscious sound. This is real and this is really, really important at this particular point in our evolutionary development. It's funny that you say that there was, I forget specifically when it happened, but um, there was a day when everyone, uh, you know, on Facebook or something was like, okay, there's a meditation event, everyone do this. And I, I did Schumann res or uh, chakra chants and stuff like that. And it affected the Schumann resonance. So I know that we're having an effect. I mean, it's, it's always magically surprising when we see an effect, so to speak, in the magic of life, but we shouldn't be too surprised. I guess we're in a magical fucking dream anyway. But, um, it, yeah, so like you're saying, intention and, and doing these things in such a way that um, you use certain techniques uh, that obviously religions and cultures throughout the world have grokked at some level for over, you know, millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, it works, folks. Like, you know, this is – you don't have to synthesize new things in the laboratory necessarily. Like, we have all the built-in mechanisms and just having having the right kind of wherewithal and the right intentions um, goes – goes the distance particularly uh with humming like you're saying and other modalities uh was oh, yeah. there anything else you wanted to say oh, oh also I, I work with the ah sound a lot particularly because that's one of the sounds of the heart chakra and for world sound healing day most of the people on the planet go ah they do an ah sound which is wonderful i'm doing a global hum now recording right now but um this you know so much to talk to and you've been really wonderful to talk about but i just want to end with these words we heal the planet we heal ourselves we heal ourselves and we heal the planet we can make a difference and we have a choice well damn jonathan well said uh we'll have to get you back on here like i said you're an awesome guest and a wellspring of knowledge so i'm sure i want to pick your brain a little more uh, maybe Raphael will have more questions. Uh, he he's a Libra, so when he's just chilling, we know he's he's enjoying himself. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's like his scales weren't imbalanced, so he was happy. Um, I guess yeah. Imparting, um, we'll put your links in the description. So soundhealing. Uh, dot com is that right? No, it's healing sounds. Hey, glad to clarify Sound, that. Sounds with an Zoom. S at the end for sure. Okay, and it's actually an award-winning website, and there's a whole lot of freebie stuff that people can have, because my purpose is basically to help bring conscious awareness of how sound can be used to heal and transform. And thank you for allowing me this opportunity to do this. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for sharing all of the, well, both history, anecdotes, and kind of showed how much potentially a foundation you laid that I'm sure many, many, many listening already partook in most likely without even knowing it's kind of related to you. So that's good to know. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Many blessings of light and love through sound to both of you. Thank you, gentlemen. Adios, amigo. Many frequencies, one sound, guys. Find the others and enjoy the ride. Enjoy. Thank you for joining. Thank you all for listening. Team Rabbit Hole, live in action. Radio Pokey, talk, 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 talk.